every visitation of God should become a habitation of God and become a move of God released through the church into the community and the world. In this concluding message, we discuss several practical ways to steward a visitation of God. All right. Why don't we just rise up to our feet and do our declaration? And then I'll do a very short sermon, maybe the shortest sermon, 15 minutes, and we'll be out. All right? So if you brought your Bible with you, hold it high up in the air, say it loud, bold, and strong, say it like you mean it. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved. Healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word, I believe His word, and I live by His word. Christ is my master, and to Him I am. An absolute surrender in Jesus' name. Say hi to the person next to you, please. And uh, greet them. Whoops, and then you can be seated. All right. It's going to be a very short sermon. It'll be done soon. We are concluding our series on revivals, visitations, and moves of God. And uh, in, this, in this last part of this series, part six... I want to talk to us about stewarding revival. That means when God gives us revival, when, when we experience this mighty visitation of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, how do we steward that? At the very beginning, we said that every visitation of God must become a habitation of God and must become a move of God that is released through us to bless uh, into the community and into the world. So when there is a visitation of God, when there's a mighty outpouring, when revival begins to take place amongst us and as a people, we must steward it so that it actually becomes a habitation. It's not that, okay, God came yesterday and is gone today. It's not that. Right? It's got to be a habitation that, that every new level God brings us into, it, we consolidate that and we begin to make that the new norm. So we want to talk about stewarding. But before I, I just get into those few thoughts here on stewarding. I wanted just to recount the story of the 1904 Welsh revival. We've been talking about many revivals uh, in the past, in the history of the church. And Wales as a nation has, uh, is, is often referred to as the country of revivals. They've seen many moves of God in the past. But the 1904 Welsh revival is rated as the top 10, the number one in, of the top 10 revivals the church has ever seen. So when church historians look back and they look at all the history of revivals, and if you ask them, you know, which one would you say is the, which one would you rank personally as number one? And this was done by a group of leading Christians. They put the 1904 Welsh revival as the number one on the ranking. So it's a really powerful story to look at. And so I just want to quickly recount that story and then share a few thoughts on stewarding revival and then we will close. Around that time, the early part of the 1900, the end of the 1800, uh, Wales as a country, uh, they, uh, spiritually things were not that great at that time. And uh, uh, so people had started praying. In fact, 
by 1897, seven years prior to the revival, prayer began to increase across Wales. And by 1902, more churches began to engage in prayer. There were prayer, lots of prayer meetings taking place. In fact, we read about 18-year-olds. And I'm speaking 18-year-olds, speaking to our teenagers. Guys, you can be instrumental in this. 18-year-olds were leading prayer, night prayer in Wales. They were precursors to the revival. These 18-year-olds saying, we've got to pray for our church. And so a lot of prayer was going on for revival. Around this time, uh, we read about this man named Evan Roberts. He was born in 1878, so prior to that. Uh, he was born to a coal miner. Uh, he was uh, from age 11 right up to the age of 23. He was working in the coal mines with his dad. But in his spare time, he would just be reading his Bible and praying. He had a great hunger for God. At the age of 13, he, was, he, he had such a great passion for God. He started praying for the Holy Spirit to impact his life. He started praying uh, uh, shortly after that. He started praying for revival. As a young man, he started crying out to God. And uh, after the age of 23, for the next three years, uh, he worked with his uncle uh, as an apprentice. In a, uh, who was a black, his uncle was a blacksmith, and he just worked with him for about three years. When he was about 26 years of age, he decided to go to Bible school. So this was 1904. Early part of 1904, even Roberts decided, I'm going to go to Bible school. I'm going to prepare for ministry. So he went there. It was just a few months that he attended Bible school, 1904, when he heard about an evangelist named Seth Joshua. Uh, now, even Roberts was, was raised up in a, a, a kind of a Methodist back, <clears throat> a Calvinistic Methodist background. And uh, he heard about this man, this uh, Presbyterian evangelist, Seth Joshua, who'd, uh, who'd, who'd come to uh, another college, uh, who'd come there to speak. And so even Roberts and some of the other students went to listen to Seth Joshua preaching. And it, it, during that time, when he, in one of those sermons, he heard Seth Joshua pray, Oh God, bend us. Now, in the Welsh language, it simply means... Help us yield, submit. Oh God, bend us. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to Evan Roberts and says, that's what you need. That's what you need. So he took that prayer, he made it personal. And he started crying, oh God, bend me. Meaning God, bring me to be an yielded, submitted vessel. Oh God, bend me. Now, God impacted his life so powerfully in that, that meeting there that when he got back to Bible school, he couldn't concentrate on his studies. He just felt that the Holy Spirit wanted him to go back to his hometown, which was uh, 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 Loghor, uh, a small town which is uh, about seven miles from Swansea. Swansea is a, big, a well-known city in Wales, in the southern part of Wales. Loghor was a small town. And his home church was the Moriah Chapel. He just felt that he had to go back to his home church, Moriah Chapel, tell the pastor that he wanted to preach. So he got permission from his principal. He went back October 31st, 1904. He went back to his, uh, uh, just prior to that, he went back to his uh, pastor. He said, Pastor, would you let me speak? You know, I, I just feel God wants me to preach. Uh, the pastor wasn't really too convinced about this. 
So he said, you know, uh, I'll let you speak at the prayer meeting, but not at the prayer meeting. After the prayer meeting is over, if anybody wants to stay back, I'll let you speak to them. So the pastor said, you know, we have this young man, Evan Roberts, he has something to say. Uh, those who would like to stay back after the prayer meeting, you're welcome to stay back to listen to him. So, you know, that was, that was the confidence he had in this man. So about a handful of young people stayed back to listen to Evan Roberts. And this was October 31st, 1904 in Moriah Chapel. And uh, Evan Roberts preached a very simple message. He simply gave them four points. He said, you must confess any known sin to God. Put away any wrong that you've done to others. Put whatever wrong you've done to others, make it right. Second, put away any, put away any doubtful habits. Third, obey the Spirit promptly. And fourth, confess your faith in Christ publicly. So confess your sin. Put up any doubtful habit. Obey the Holy Spirit promptly. Confess Jesus publicly. So he started off in the evening. Nobody left. They were there till 10 o'clock. 17 of these people responded. And God was touching their hearts. So they came back the next evening. And the next evening. And, and the whole week, Evan Roberts was preaching to these people. Something was happening. The Spirit of God was stirring. And he stayed all week. He continued the next week. And suddenly what happened was, crowds of people were drawn to this place. By the Holy Spirit. People were drawn to this place by the Holy Spirit. They started coming in. And because it's a small town, the highway was blocked, the newspapers started reporting it. And, and uh, the, the Welsh papers began to report great crowds of people drawn to, Lo- drawn to Loghor. And the main road, main road between Swansea uh, going all the way up here was, was packed with people trying to get to church. Shopkeepers began to close their shops early so that they could come in for the evening service. And uh, newspaper, newspaper reporters started coming to see what was happening. Uh, and, and, and soon, uh, people were not willing to go. The meetings took place from the evening and they would go on through till next morning, till 4 o'clock in the morning. People never wanted to go home. Now, you can't do that even with good music. I mean, Thank God for our worship team. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. But you can't do these things with, <clears throat> with man-made programs. Now, in the first five weeks, remember, in the first five weeks, 30,000 souls were saved. And thousands were revived. Lists of converts of people's lives being changed were sent to the newspapers. So that they can record all of this. So all of this has been documented. And by December, uh, and just two months since that, over 70,000 names were sent to the newspapers. And by March 1905, 85,000 lives touched. Cannot manufacture this. 
The revival fires spread all over Wales. So even Roberts was ministering mainly in the southern part of Wales. But there were young people who caught the fire. They began to move. Others began to move across the northern part, across Wales. And literally thousands and thousands of lives were being touched. And it all took place in such a short time. Now, the result of this mighty move of the Holy Spirit was lasting. It was not just, you know, an excitement, a temporary excitement. Because five years later, a man named Dr. J.V. Morgan, who was a skeptic, who, was a, who criticized this, five years later, he went to examine how many of these 100,000 converts still remain in the church. And he found out that up to 80,000 people are still in the church. Five years later. So this was not hype or emotion. This was genuine life transformation because the Holy Spirit was moving. Now look at the impact, the social impact, astounding during that, 19, that year, 1904, 1905. Judges were presented with white gloves because they had no cases to try. No robberies, no burglaries, burglaries no rapes, no murders, no embezzlements, nothing. District councils held emergency meetings to discuss what to do with the police now that they were unemployed. In one place, the sergeant of the police was sent for and asked, what do you do with your time? He replied, before the revival, we had two main jobs, to prevent crime and to control crowds, as at football games. Since the revival started, there is practically no crime, so we just go with the crowds. So the council asked, you know, what does that mean? The sergeant replied, you know where the crowds are. They're packing out the churches. So he asked, the council asked, but how does that affect the police? He said, you know, we have 17 police in our station, but we formed three quartets. So if any church wants a quartet to sing, they just call the police station. As the revival swept Wales, drunkenness was cut in half. There was a wave of bankruptcies and all of them were these bars. There was a, even a slowdown in the mines because uh, at one point, the, the horses that dragged the coals could not under, anymore understand the coal miners who had been converted. Because up until that time, they were used to all the curse words. Now these converted coal miners didn't know how to direct the horses and so things were a little upset there. Illegitimate birth rate dropped by 44% within the year of the revival. And the revival swept throughout Britain, Canada, Germany, spread across the globe, impacted even the northeastern part of our nation as well. That's a beautiful part. A great impact. Total, I mean, you see the impact of it on society, on community, all across the nation. But there is a, the other side to it, which we must also be aware of. In about a year's time from the starting of the revival, Evan Robert as a man, he succumbed to the pressure of his rigorous schedule. And in the fall of 1905, less than a year, he suffered physical and emotional collapse. The burden and the intensity of the work, and he would be preaching sometimes four times a day. 
the burden and the intensity of his work caused him to collapse and he went into a state of depression he was taken in by a family uh, the, uh, the Penn Lewis family who housed him he moved to England and for the next 45 years he never preached hardly he just gave his life to prayer just praying there were only two recorded occasions that he ever came out to preach after that and both those times were so powerful mighty miracles took place but he believed that he could do a lot more just praying than being out in public preaching so there are some lessons for us to learn from that revival and i want to just use some of that in, as we talk about stewarding revival that is when god sends revival we will see powerful impact on our city on our church churches around the city on our city which is the community around the the revival that's taking place but we need to be careful how we steward that how we handle it a few thoughts here one is about separating the wheat from the chaff when there is revival and and god is moving powerfully there will be things wrong things happening meaning things that are of the flesh and not necessarily of the spirit because there is a sense of excitement there is there's a lot of emotion involved when god is moving so powerfully and so we will have to have the ability to discern what is really of the spirit and what is of the flesh and uh, the parable jesus gave us in matthew th- chapter 13 verses 24 to 30 give us a lesson on how to separate the wheat from the chaff the genuine from what is not genuine Jesus gave the story where a man sowed wheat into the ground in his field but the enemy came and they sowed tares in the same field and as they started springing up they noticed that there were both the wheat and the tares growing up so the servants asked the man he said you know should we just go and pull out the tares then he said don't do it now because if you do it now you might destroy the wheat that's growing along with it but wait till harvest time comes during harvest time the fruit by the fruit you can actually tell the difference that time you go remove the tares and we harvest the wheat so a message for us is that it takes wisdom to and at the right time we step in to deal with what is fleshly we don't want to quench the work of the spirit while attempting to sift out what is of the flesh so we wait for the fruit when you see the fruit we'll be able to tell the difference and clearly separate the wheat from the chaff so how do we steward a visitation of god into a habitation of god i'm just going to run through some practical things here i'm not giving chapter and verse for each of these first we need to keep the house clean that means there is no sin in the house god has come in to dwell in his house in a greater way it means there's got to be greater holiness for god to dwell there There's got to be unity of the spirit God finds this good and pleasant so we need to guard the unity that we have the fellowship that we have watch against discord or anything that would cause conflict among God's people we need to protect unity amongst us keep a humble heart God always resists the proud meaning God withdraws from those who are proud so the more grace we want the more in humility we must walk in because God gives grace to the humble you want greater grace walk in greater humility 
greater grace will be on your life. And this is something about the 1904 Welsh Revival. Evan Roberts always said this. He said his prayer was, God, bend the church and save the world. Bend the church and save the world. Bend the church, meaning bring us to a place of humility. Bring us to this place of yieldedness. Because then God can release his glory through the church and save the world. Now, in fact, one of the theme songs during this Welsh revival is that old hymn, Here is love, vast as the ocean. I won't attempt to sing it. I'll leave that to Pastor Jakes. But, you know. but that, that beautiful hymn that we sing, I'm always tempted to sing it, but I don't <laughs> Here is love, that was one of the theme songs in the Welsh world. People would just spontaneously start singing that uh, during those services. Anyway, that was a side note. Another important thing to steward the revival is to keep God as a focus. He is the Lord of this house. So no man and nothing else takes that place. It's always focused on Jesus. Continue in prayer and maintain prayer that fuels revival. We're going to start increasing prayer in the church. We're going to uh, call us for more times of prayer, uh, weekly prayer and, and daily prayer. We're going to increase that. We'll start sharing that with you in the coming weeks. But as we increase prayer and, and we begin to see the move of God taking place, that prayer must be sustained because that's the sacrifice that keeps the fire going, keeps the fire burning. God sends the fire, but we provide the sacrifice. So we must sustain that, continue that. Stay with what is important. Let's not get sidetracked into other things. Stay with the basics of the word of God. Stay with you know, the teaching, the preaching, the worship, the prayer, the fellowship, and the witnessing. Don't get devi- sidetracked from those basic things. Uh, we provide a biblical perspective on what is happening as unusual begin, things begin to happen. We bring the word of God and say, you know, we see, see this is the word of God. This is a nature, a demonstra- an expression of the nature of God. Uh, we need to maintain a revival culture, a culture that's a, a revival culture, meaning a culture that is centered on the presence of God, a culture that is uh, uh, that that really is. I don't have time to explain it, but a revival culture is really a church that is growing in all dimensions of what God has called the local church to be. So we create that culture because culture sustains what God has given to us. We need to take care of people. We don't want people to get burnt out. We learned that lesson from Evan Roberts himself. Take care of people during, because revival can be very demanding. There can, can, can be a lot of stress and strain on the church when God is moving in such a manner. I mean, God, what has been committed from human and demonic attacks. One of the biggest attacks Evan Roberts faced was from his own close friend who turned against him. During the revival, his close, one of his closest friends turned against him and, and, and attacked him very fiercely. And that was probably some of the things that contributed to his breakdown. And so we need to guard people. We need to guard what God's given to us uh, so that the work that God has released to us can continue. So not only must we steward the visitation of God to become a habitation, but one last thing is we must also steward the visitation to make it a move of God. When we are burning with revival fire, and we go to other places, we can ignite revival in other places across our city and across the nation. Amen? Because we're carrying that revival fire. So that makes it a move of God. And some practical things that we can do to make a visitation of God, a move of God is we can share the story to inspire others. The more you talk about the stories of revival, the more others are inspired. 
We find the right people are ready to catch the fire so we can impart it into their lives. There's no point in going to people who don't want it, who don't want revival, who don't value it. Impart in the spirit. So we're not imparting methods or ways of doing things. You'll say, you have to do the same thing we're doing. No, it's not about the methods, but it's imparting the fire, imparting what God has released to us. And that means we transfer the key elements of the visitation. What is God revealing to us? The demonstrations, we transfer that and then let God do the work he wants. And we need to release carriers of revival, meaning young people going forth. That's what happened in the Welsh Revival. Young people began to rise up, inspired by Evan Roberts' own life. And they began to move all across Wales, carrying fires of revival. And I believe God can raise people up from our congregations to go across our nation, spreading revival fire. Amen? So, it's our turn, and the nations are waiting. Toward the end of his life, and I shared this with you earlier, some people came to Evan Roberts and they asked him, Could Wales experience another revival like the one they had in 1904 and 1905? And Evan Roberts responded, yes, but who will pay the price? If we had Evan Roberts here and say, do you think Bangalore could experience that kind of a revival? I think he'd say, yeah, yes. Bangalore is no different. India is no different. But who will pay the price? Who's going to pray? Who's going to seek God? Who's going to pay the price? I want to invite you and I, us, to take up this challenge. God, we're going to pay the price for revival in our church, in our city, in our nation. Because history is full of these stories where in revival things happen that nothing else can cause or affect. Amen? Let's rise to our feet. We're going to get ready to close. We're going to take a few moments to pray, and then we're going to close with our theme song. Uh, so I just call our worship team up here, please. I want you to take a, take a moment to pray and say, God, give me this courage, give me the strength to pursue revival, to pursue you, to see a great move of the Holy Spirit, something that we've never seen. I want to pray. I want to ask for more of God. I want to ask for more of you in our lives. I want to ask for that. Could we all just bow our heads in prayer? Just pray right now. Father, we've heard stories from the past of what you've done, God, of how the Holy Spirit has moved in such unusual manners, bringing thousands and thousands into the kingdom. Father, we pray that you'll ignite in our hearts a similar desire to pray for revival in our church, in our city, and across this nation. Ignite that in us, Lord. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Flood our lives. Flood our church. Come upon us, Holy Spirit. Before we sing, I just want to take a moment to pray if there's any person here that You've never given your heart to Jesus Christ. But this morning, in the midst of all that's happened here, there's something prompting inside you saying, I need to get right with God. My life is not right. I need to get right. It's a very simple decision that you need to make, which is to let Jesus take control of your life. 
Let Jesus, the one who died for you and me on the cross, who was buried, who rose up again, who is alive today, let him take control. Let him forgive all the wrong you've done. Let him make you a brand new person. If you feel in your heart right now that things are not right in your life, but you want it to get right, and you're ready to let Jesus do it, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Could you pray this prayer with me, please? Lord Jesus, I know things are not right in my life. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to come into my life, make things right, forgive my sins, make me a new person, and help me follow you all the days of my life. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we sing that song, We Have a Vision. Tell your neighbor, We Have a Vision. All right, let's sing it. We have a vision for this nation. Amen. To be salt and light in this city. To be a voice to the nation and to the nation. Are we ready to declare it? Are we ready to declare it? Are we ready to declare it? We have a vision for this nation. We share a dream for this land. We shall be angels. Celebration. By faith we stick with my world to this land. We have a vision. We have a vision for this nation. Yes, Lord, we declare it. We share a dream. We join with angels Celebration I faith is thinking I walk to this land Where every knee will bow Where every knee shall bow Worship you We have the vision for this nation. We share a dream for this land. We join with angels. Celebration. Celebration. By faith we sing revival to this land. Every knee will bow. 